So three preliminary things before I get going with the meat of the sermon. The first preliminary thing is this message is for Jesus followers, for those who have trusting faith in Christ our Savior. And if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, or if you're listening online and you're not a Jesus follower, this message is still beneficial because I hope it gives you a taste of the joy of serving our Savior. And if you'd like to serve our Savior, if the Holy Spirit is awakening that in your heart, then please take a Bible. We'll get more because in the Bible is everything we need for salvation. Just take one right out of the pew. And if you'd like someone to help walk with you through that Bible that contains everything we need for salvation, then please ask Ben or me or Robert or Alex or anyone who's here at church who knows Jesus because I can guarantee there is nothing we would rather do with this afternoon than spend time sharing the love of our Savior with you. Okay? That's first thing. Second thing, I jump around the Bible a lot. Um, I can't stress enough how precious his word is. And when you start to read it and read it and reread it and reread it, and you see the connections God has put in there, it's really hard to just stay in one place because you read something and you think, oh, that reminds me of this thing he said over here. So um, Alex has vetted this sermon already. He heard it last night. So don't worry if you don't get to the passage quick enough to vet me. I promise Alex has put um, his seminary approval on it. So there we go. Because that's why you look like that's why you do it, right? That's what my pastor growing up always said. You better check this out. Make sure I'm not lying to you. You check your Bible. And then the third preliminary thing is this will not be a recruitment pitch. When church folks hear the word service, we tend to think either of the thing we're doing right now, which is a service, or we envision a particular way of volunteering time and skills, serving in the nursery, serving on the vestry, serving at the homeless shelter, serving in the prison ministry. Those ideas aren't wrong at all, but they don't get at the heart of service. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. What you do is not the heart of service. Because the heart of service is Jesus himself. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. He is the foot washing servant of John chapter 13. And he is the one who took a servant's nature to the uttermost, whose obedience unto death on a cross made a way for us to be transformed into his likeness. So on this Epiphany Sunday, let's see him revealed in scripture together, starting with a definition of epiphany, not a word we go around saying every day, and if we do, it's usually for something rather non-epiphanous, like, I understand how to use Google Sheets, right? So, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, epiphany is a usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. An intuitive grasp of reality through something, such as an event, usually simple and striking, an illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure, or a revealing scene or moment. With those definitions in mind, let's look at the passage from Exodus together. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to him, Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Definitely a sudden manifestation, a striking event, 
an illuminating, even blazing discovery, an epiphany, a revealing moment. Because in that moment, God had chosen to reveal himself to Moses, to be present, to show up in an unmistakable way, to break through what seems to be reality, which was the tedious, punctuated by danger, daily monotony of mind, um, flock minding, which is what Moses was doing, right? Waiting around for something dangerous to show up, fighting it off, and then waiting around some more. Day after day after day after year after year after year. And God chose that moment to break through. Because Moses also showed up. He showed up to do his daily work. Nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary. And in those moments, God shows up. God showed up for Moses, and he always shows up. To know the joy of serving God, <laughs> you've got to show up. And you've got to believe that God is always showing up. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear him. God always shows up, maybe or even usually not as we expect, but he always shows up. And immediately after showing up, he declares who's who. God called, Moses, Moses. Then he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. God says, this is who you are. Take off your shoes. You are unholy. Two small side notes here. One is that one of our beloved younger brothers in Christ from Sunday school always took his shoes off when he came into Sunday school. And I know he did it because he liked to take his shoes off and be barefoot. But I also know that God used him to minister to us in his physical representation of what it means to be present with God. So I'm grateful for that. And another side note, we humans often chafe under God's declaration of our unholiness, of who and what we really are. We'd like him to sweeten it a little. We'd really like him to say, you just need a little help. You're not that bad. Or everyone's favorite response to, I'm sorry, it's okay. But God says it's not okay. Spoiler alert, he loves us enough to die for us, and a love like that doesn't pull any punches. And so, you, I, we are unholy, says God. And he says, I am God, and consequently, this is holy ground. Not because the ground itself was holy, but because the presence of God made it holy. When you stand in your kitchen with your believing family member, you are on holy ground because the Spirit of God is in you and with you. And Moses has enough good sense to hide his face because he gets it. He is in the presence of God, and he acknowledges his own fear and unworthiness. To know the joy of serving God, you got to show up, and you got to know who's who. Reverend Connie, who used to be a pastor at this church and still attends, told us several years ago that there are only two choices when it comes to who's who. you got God, not God. Holy, not holy. And when you read the holy word of this holy God... There's my plug for Bible reading again. 
you find that the holy God is the one who sees and hears and knows. And we know this from verse 7. Then the Lord Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And here comes the awesome part that might choke me up and you'll just have to roll with it. He, the holy God, says, I have come down to deliver them. And this sounds like an infomercial because I'm going to say it gets even better. He says, I will be with you. Just a minute, let that settle. God Almighty says, I will be with you. And later he says, not only will I be with you, I have something for you to do. Because he created us for purpose. He says, you shall serve me on this mountain. He has come down to deliver them and to deliver us so that we can serve him because we all serve something. and We all serve someone. The Israelites previously served the Egyptian Pharaoh, who was far removed from them. Do you think Pharaoh ever came down and said, let's have a cuppa while you take your break from slavery? He didn't. But Yahweh, who is infinitely more powerful than Pharaoh, who laughs in derision at Pharaoh, comes down and tells them he will be with them and that they will serve him. To know the joy of serving God, you've got to show up and you've got to know who's who. And you've got to be delivered. Moses was already delivered, right? That's why he gets this invitation to serve God in this way. He's already out of Egypt. God already delivered him. In fact, by my count, God delivered him at least three times. He's delivered. And then he's called to serve God so that others can be delivered. And that deliverance is not a do-it-yourself job, not for anyone. We humans can't deliver ourselves from the curse of sin and death any more than the Israelites could deliver themselves from the nation of Egypt. So God sends a deliverer. And he, God himself, was with them. And he, God himself, is with us. That's the fourth point. You show up. God's shown up. You know who's who. You remember that you've been delivered. And if you haven't been delivered yet... Do that first. Submit yourself to Almighty God. His power is working in you to do that if that's what you feel led to do. And then you serve the God who is with us. As we leave the Christmas season, I just realized I never stepped behind the lectern. There we go. Um, as we leave the Christmas season, don't the words of Matthew's gospel ring in your ears? They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. On this Sunday when we celebrate Epiphany, the revealing of Emmanuel, Jesus, the Messiah, the Deliverer. We think of Simeon. Simeon, who was, according to Luke's gospel, righteous and devout and led by God's spirit. He was surely a servant of God, and he was one of the saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, which we sang about this morning. Simeon whose joy overflows from the page as we read his words from Luke when he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon has literally had his wildest dream come true. He has not only seen, but has also taken in his arms the baby Jesus the one who will become the suffering servant. And Simeon has declared the obvious, right? 
this Jesus is a light for the glory of God's chosen people, Israel. And, um, yeah, he also said something about Jesus being a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, the non-Jews, the decidedly not chosen people. At which anyone listening in the temple would have said, what? The testimony of thousands of years of God's faithfulness to Israel is that they are his chosen people. The other nations are not. That's what we read in Psalm 2 today, right? Israel, chosen. Nations, not chosen. Simple. But things with God are rarely that simple. The nations rage. They plot in vain, says Psalm 2. They strive to break the constraints that God has placed upon them. They vie for supremacy and ultimate power. And God laughs at them. Ha <laughs> ha, he holds them in derision. And we like that, we chosen people. Surely God will utterly destroy them, right? Surely Jesus is the one who will grind the nations into the dirt. And we'll get ours and they'll get theirs. And God will, before Israel's very eyes, break the Gentile nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It's all right there in Psalm 2. No mercy. Total annihilation, right? No. No, 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 no. In Exodus chapter 34, we read that Moses rose up early and went up Mount Sinai. He showed up. And the Lord descended in the cloud, because God always shows up. And he stood there with him, with Moses, as he is with us, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious even to the nations? Yes. That is the God of mercy we serve, a light for revelation to those on the outside. Well, of course, you say, Jesus had a radical ministry to those on the outside. Lepers, women's, women's. Lepers and women's, I'm letting my early childhood show through. <laughs> Lepers and women, prostitutes and the ritually impure, even Roman centurions. But we, we sometimes act like and we sometimes speak like and even think like the God of the Old Testament before Jesus came in a body was somehow a different God someone less concerned for the outsider. And I, I tried to verify with my son last night this noise, and we couldn't quite get it right, but when our kids were little and something was wrong, they used to make this noise. And, and it's wrong. It's wrong to think that the God of the Old Testament, we did, yeah, they did. The God of the Old Testament is different than the Jesus revealed in a bodily form in the New Testament, because they're not different, not at all. The law given by God to Moses makes special mention of the care that must be shown to the stranger and the sojourner in Israel. In Leviticus 19, those Bible laws, fresh on the heels of Israel's deliverance from enslavement in Egypt. I mean, like, right after they get out of Egypt, God says, you've got to love the stranger as yourself. Even those nations mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, the strangers who may be Canaanites or Hittites or Amorites or Perizzites or Hivites or Jebusites or even Egyptians. Psalm chapter 2 verse 12 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's let that one hit a little. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, even the nations. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is the God who is with us. He is not just with us who kind of look and think and talk the same way. He is with us believers in Christ Jesus all over. So, we showed up. We remembered who we are and who he is based on his word, not our ideas. And we are assured of our deliverance from death to life because we have faith in the finished work of Christ. And we trust that he is with us. So now, what does that service look like? Put your put your American habit trackers and planners and goal charts away, your checklists. I'm not going to give you that. This is not six steps to service of God. I believe to start with, look around. We are serving God right now because he has not served us. Rewind. He has not called us to serve him alone. We are called to serve as part of the body. We call this thing we're doing a service because it is service. And I would argue that it is a particularly pleasing service when we don't want to be here, but we show up anyway. So one of another sister in Christ, young sister in Christ from Sunday school, marched up to me one morning in Sunday school and said, I don't want to be here. And I looked at her and I said, I don't either. And she got this look like, what? Like the Sunday school teacher has to want to be here. And I said, I don't want to be here. I want to be home in my bed with a newspaper or a crossword and my doggy. That is what I want on Sunday morning. I do not really want to be here. But we're here because we love Jesus. We're here because we are obedient to his word to not give up getting together as a congregation and a body. We are serving God when we show up for the congregational worship of his mighty name. No matter how we feel, no matter how we look. Oh, isn't that a big one of the enemy? I don't know if other ladies feel that way, but I have had so many Sundays where I think I can't show up to church. I'm not pretty enough. What a lie from the pit of hell. No matter how you feel, no matter how you look, no matter what, Showing up is serving God and offering the sacrifice of praise. Why does the Bible call it the sacrifice of praise? I think it's because this is the holy God who sees and hears and knows. And he sees our hearts and he hears our thoughts. And he knows that for some of us, for many different reasons, it is a sacrifice just to be here. Maybe getting in the car and walking through that door took a Herculean effort today. 
Maybe just pushing back the covers and joining us online was more than you thought you could handle today, but you showed up. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, please let me remind you that you are serving God by showing up. Secondly, I believe he calls us to serve him in prayer. Even when that prayer is just saying the name of Jesus, because that's all we can do. When we show up, knowing he is there, when we remember who he is and who we are, God, not God. That's an important part of prayer, you know. We pretend a lot, even with ourselves alone. Usually, I pretend that there's a very good reason why I sinned the way I sin. And I pretend about God, too. Instead of the holy God of the Bible, we may find ourselves praying to a God of our own imagining, a God whose intentions conform to our 21st century American ideas about love and justice and mercy and forgiveness. In other words, what happens is a not-me ends up praying to a not-God. What's going on here? A not-me, not the real me, is praying to not-God. Why even bother? C.S. Lewis once wrote, the prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks. Is that? Sorry about that microphone. May it be the real I who speaks. May it be the real thou that I speak to. And so I commend to you this book, which you can also find online in various versions. The Book of Common Prayer and also the common prayer found in the Church of England's worship service, both of which can be found in uh, app form. Because every day in those services, we remind ourselves who we are. In the services of morning and evening prayer, we say, apart from your grace, there is no health in us. And then in the older version, we say, but thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. He is mercy and we are miserable offenders. Yet by his grace, we redeemed miserable offenders. We redeemed miserable offenders offenders can know the joy of serving him alongside other equally redeemed, equally miserable offenders. That's the church. A whole bunch of miserable offenders miraculously redeemed by our merciful God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So ultimately, our service is not to do. It is to be the bride of Christ. His church, washed in his blood, being his church will probably lead to doing. But that's the order. We are his beloved bride. And so our service flows out of that. The doing isn't the starting point. Notice that in our reading from Philippians today, the Apostle Paul does not exhort the church in Philippi to perform specific acts of service in order to get closer to God or to please God. Doing penance or performing acts of charity out of some sense of prescribed service is not what God desires. To serve God by following Jesus' example is something we can only do after he ha we have received the salvation he won for us. 
We receive the gift of trusting faith by grace, and when we do, his spirit changes us so that in the words of Romans chapter 12, we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds and brought more and more into conformity with Jesus, who, we read today, emptied himself, became a servant, and offered his humble obedience to the Father. The power-hungry world around us says there is no power in humble obedience, but that's the service that pleases God, who has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We look for some grand act of service, at least I do, to complete, because I'm really quite full of pride and wanting to be the center of attention, and all the while, I ignore the very service to which God has called me. Many of you know, as Ben said, that I'm aspiring to become a deacon in the Anglican Church and to serve in that way. And yet, I have grumbled and complained grievously at my job and at home and with my friends and at church in recent weeks. In complete defiance of the loving command we read in Philippians chapter 2 today, to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. According to that verse, <coughs> raising a million dollars for wells in Africa isn't the most immediate thing. The most immediate thing is to do the everyday daily work in front of me without grumbling or complaining. Here I am, praying and fasting and doing all kinds of paperwork and paperwork, also paperwork, and then some paperwork, plus paperwork, and evaluations and meetings in the hope of serving God as a deacon. And all the while, I fail to serve him by closing my mouth and doing my job without grumbling and complaining. And believe me, the process of preparing this sermon has convicted me in that regard, and I hope that you will hold me accountable. Thank God for grace and that his mercies are new every morning. Let's wrap up by remembering one of my favorite passages of scripture, Jesus' healing of Peter's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, a story which I have always loved for its straightforward simplicity. It comes right after we read that Jesus has released a man from the control of Satan. We see deliverance in a mighty and very public way. And then he goes to Peter's house. And his mother-in-law is there. She shows up and Jesus shows up. Not God. God. And he delivers her. And he is with her. And she serves him. May the same be said of us. Amen.